Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping, now the country's most powerful ruler in decades. Surrounded by loyalists, where will he lead the nation? Markets may hold the answer. Hong Kong stocks plummeting to new lows alongside China's currency. Now concerns over Taiwan. Chinese army officials who had helped monitor the island promoted to top positions. Hacking into the Chinese communist regime's TV network to counter its propaganda. Those involved face deadly consequences. Canada's pick for an Oscar brings the story to the big screen. And deterring a war with China demands cooperation. An expert says our leadership needs to shift their approach. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping secured a third term on Sunday. And his Politburo Standing Committee, the most powerful of China's lawmaking bodies, is newly stacked with his loyalists. In his remarks, Xi Jinping appears to prioritize communist ideology over market health and control of the Chinese people over economy. Here are the details. The Communist Party's week-long Congress ended over the weekend. It came with the confirmation of Chinese leader Xi Jinping in an unprecedented third term, cementing his place as the country's most powerful ruler since Mao Zedong. And the country's top governing body, the Politburo Standing Committee, is stacked with loyalists to him, with no clear successor. We must be highly vigilant and always maintain a top level of clarity and prudence and continually push for strict and comprehensive party governance so that the century-old party will continue to flourish in its self-revolution and always be the strongest and most reliable backbone of the Chinese people. For example, Shanghai's Communist Party chief, Li Qiang, followed Xi onto the stage, which means he is likely to become China's premier when the incumbent retires in March. Li Qiang was the focus of public anger, which made it past China's censors over Shanghai's COVID lockdowns. But he has a long history with Xi Jinping. The man he would replace, Li Keqiang, is seen as a moderate and has also been excluded from the wider Central Committee, one of several absences. We have to say regarding this new standing committee is that uh, it's a one-color uh, standing committee. And clearly all these uh, leaders have, have worked with Xi Jinping, they were promoted by Xi Jinping. But the, the problem is that with uh, a, you know, a bunch of yes-men, there are much less checks and balances. An unusual incident also took place Saturday. That's when Xi's predecessor, Hu Jintao, was unexpectedly escorted off the stage. He appeared to resist as he was led away. Video of the incident was widely shared on Twitter but could not be found on China's heavily censored social media platforms. State media coverage of the ceremony did not include the scene, but later reported that he was feeling unwell. I'm not a believer of the pure health explanation, uh, just because the last formal task that Hu Jintao had to perform was to vote for the new Central Committee, which he did uh, minutes before this event took place. Uh, and if he had been feeling unwell, they could have, after his voting, they could have uh, whisked him away and, and give him medical care. Uh, but yet he sat down, He and it seemed like he sat down in a pretty stable manner, and then suddenly uh, he was asked to, to leave. Xi Jinping directed this play for a sole purpose, sending a clear signal that the era represented by former President Hu has completely ended in China, and China will enter a new era of Xi Jinping. 
The committee memberships further confirm that she's grip on power is unharmed by the events of a rocky few years. From a sharp economic slowdown and frustration over his zero COVID-19 policy to China's growing estrangement from the West, which has been worsened by Xi's support for Russia's Vladimir Putin. How are global investors reacting to China's new leadership team and Xi's third term? Confidence in China's economy seems to be plummeting. Some investors are dumping their Chinese assets, leading Hong Kong stocks to slide to 13-year lows on Monday. China's currency, the yuan, also fell to a nearly 15-year low. Foreign business groups in China expressed concerns about the change in Beijing's leadership. The American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai said it was encouraged by the commitment to deepening reform in Xi Jinping's speech, but added it was also concerned that non-market tools could be counterproductive, like government subsidies for state-owned companies. This is also one of the main issues Washington has brought to the negotiation table with China. In a statement, the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China said it would take a wait-and-see approach. This, as the impacts of the Congress will likely not surface until March next year, when the new premier takes office. In China, premiers are normally in charge of the economy. The current Chinese Communist Party Secretary of Shanghai, Li Qiang, is expected to take on the role. Earlier this year, a two-month-long COVID-19 lockdown in the financial hub caused a lot of controversy. The extended shutdown also dealt a heavy blow to Shanghai's economy. China's selection of a new military leader is raising concerns, especially over Taiwan. One of the regime's newly promoted officials is He Weidong. He now serves as the vice chairman of Chinese military's top decision-making body, China's Central Military Commission. He's the former commander of the Chinese military's Eastern Theater Command. The army branch oversees the forces monitoring Taiwan. Alongside the new appointment, another official held on to his seat in the commission during the reshuffle. His name is Miao Hua. Miao spent over two decades of his career in China's Fujian province, located just across the strait from Taiwan. Over on the island, reporters asked Taiwan's defense minister if he was worried that a Chinese invasion may happen during his term. Here's Chiu's response. I've never been concerned about this, but we've been making preparations since I was in military school. No matter if China invades by 2027 or not, when we prepare for war, we're preparing for things that could happen in the next minute, the next hour. He emphasized Taiwan's military would defend itself. China's economy rebounded in the third quarter. But the revival will face challenges long-term by persistent COVID-19 curbs, a prolonged property slump, and global recession risks. Let's zoom in. China's economic growth beat forecasts in the third quarter. Official data showed on Monday. The National Bureau of Statistics reported a 3.9% rise in gross domestic product in the July to September quarter year-on-year. That's above the 3.4% pace forecast in a Reuters poll of analysts. It also marks a quickening from the second quarter's growth rate of just 0.4%. The data was originally scheduled for release last Tuesday, but was delayed amid a key Communist Party Congress last week. Despite the rebound, challenges loom. China's zero-COVID strategy and strife in its key property sector are worsening the external pressures from the Ukraine crisis and a global slowdown. 
A Reuters poll forecasts China's growth to slow to 3.2% in 2022, far below the official target of around 5.5%. That would mark one of the worst performances in almost half a century. Though policymakers have played down the importance of hitting the growth target set in March, authorities have rolled out some 50 economic support measures since late May. New bank lending in China nearly doubled in September from the previous month and far exceeded expectations thanks to central bank efforts to revive the economy. Separate data showed industrial output in September rose 6.3 percent from a year earlier, topping August gains and beating estimates. But retail sales saw a weak 2.5 percent rise. That's less than the forecast 3.3 percent and slower compared to the 5.4 percent growth in August. A note about the authenticity of data from China. Chinese Communist Party officials have a history of doctoring economic data, as better results mean they're more likely to get promoted. Because of that, it remains to be seen whether the GDP released is accurate. An award-winning film is hitting big screens across the U.S. Through animated illustrations, it captures a daring confrontation that happened 20 years ago between a small group of citizens and the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda machine and the deadly consequences afterwards. The film is Canada's pick for the 2023 Oscar race. NTD sat down with the film's artist and main character Da Xiong to find out more. When the ruling regime is using all its media outlets to churn out propaganda against your faith, what do you do? This is the question that an award-winning film is bringing to life in theaters across the U.S. Called Eternal Spring, it captures a true event from 20 years ago in China. That's when a group of spiritual practitioners hacked into China's state-controlled television network to counter the communist regime's propaganda against their spiritual practice, Falun Gong. Falun Gong is a spiritual meditation based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. In the 90s, about one in every 13 Chinese people practiced it. But millions of them were thrown into prison and tortured after the regime launched a nationwide persecution campaign. On top of that, the regime blanketed China with hate propaganda against the practice. From national to local TV, hate-filled attacks against Falun Gong were on air 24 hours a day. The TV hijacking event took place under this context. And the film tells the story through the lens of Da Xiong, a Falun Gong practitioner who witnessed it. Afterwards, my instincts told me that danger might be around the corner, that police raids may come tomorrow, and that's what happened. Police raided the entire city, a population of over 9 million. A lot of practitioners were forced to flee their homes. Many practitioners were arrested. Their homes were searched. Police arrested over 4,000 practitioners.
Da Xiong is also a renowned comic book artist. He's drawn for both the Justice League and Star Wars graphic novels. After being forced to flee China, he wanted to recreate the story. I've drawn many American heroes, like Superman and Batman. They are superheroes in people's imaginations. But more heroes come from our ordinary lives. They faced off against the rogue communist regime with their own courage and effort. They're truly remarkable, which is why I would like to bring their stories to life. But tracing the event was not easy. Of the hijacking's core participants, six have died at the hands of Chinese police. Of those who are still alive, the main ones were in prison. We couldn't get any information from them. A breakthrough came in 2017 after a survivor made out of China, following 10 years in prison. We were only able to sort out the stories after we found a key participant, Jin Shuizhe. The film was six years in the making, and the hand-drawn illustrations alone took over two years. But for him, that wasn't the hard part. You have to recall the memories, those unhappy memories, painful memories while in China. It's like a scar has already healed, but you have to cut it open again and feel what it's like to be painful. But he says his own feelings aren't important. Because most of the people that were involved in the TV hijacking event have died. Their families fell apart. What they went through is far more cruel than what I've been through. I have a sense of mission. It's like as if I'm finishing what they have not completed. And to tell the truth to the world, this is what kept me going. He noted tapping into state-controlled TV network proves no easy task. And the participants knew the risks and consequences. If the police arrests don't come today, they could come tomorrow. So why did they do it? Those practitioners want to clarify the truth about Falun Gong and let the Chinese people know that they have a right to choose to know the truth. This is very important. No one wants prison terms. We all have families. We all have comforts in life that are hard to let go of. But since they chose to do this, that means they know the significance of doing this was bigger than their own personal feelings. He added, it also comes down to having great love for the country. The movie also talked about the idea of what is love. It's to have the courage to carry on the traditional values of this nation. This is the biggest love for the country, instead of staying numb and silent. But this comes down to individuals' choices. Not everyone can do something like this. Da Xiong explained the film also gives a different big picture about China. It showcases the deep influence that Falun Gong had left on the Chinese society. Also, how Falun Gong practitioners think about things. Why did they want to do this TV hijacking event? They have persisted against Beijing's persecution for 23 years. The film is Canada's pick for the 2023 Oscar race. It will contest for Best International Feature. Meanwhile, the film is hitting big screens across the U.S., including New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. It also has upcoming releases in the U.K., Canada, and Australia. Juliet Song, NTD News.
The Heritage Foundation think tank recently published a new report calling the U.S. military weak for the first time. We sat down with Rick Fisher, senior fellow of the International Assessment and Strategy Center, for details on what different parties are responsible for, including the Biden administration, U.S. allies, and the grassroots level. First, we spoke about the relationship between quality and quantity in the military. And Rick, it seems one area that's often brought up is, you know, skills versus quantity. So, for instance, they're like, oh, maybe we have less ships than the other side, but ours are more superior. So how is that going to play out going forward? Is it a numbers game or is it the quality of your craft, for example? Well, when facing a power like Russia or China, uh, it's unfortunate for the United States that uh, numbers do count. Now, there are uh, areas where the United States still has a numerical superiority over China. For example, in the very important count of vertical missile launchers on uh, major combat ships. The United States has has a margin of about a thousand of these more than China has at this point. But China is building ships far more rapidly than the United States and will be able to catch up. Coming up, how can we change this U.S.-China trajectory? Rick Fisher says it all comes down to choices and responsibilities and involves everything from the U.S. government to America's allies to everyday citizens tasked with selecting leadership at the polls. More on that in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Deterring a war with China demands cooperation from many parties. But first, Rick Fisher says there's something else that must come first, a shift in our leadership's approach. He breaks it down. And Rick, where do you see all of this headed? What's keeping us from hitting our numbers? It all boils down to leadership, uh, Tiffany. It is time for the United States, for for the Biden administration to basically be telling the American people that we are moving into a wartime condition, that our enemies could initiate combat operations against our forces or those of our allies and friends very quickly and by surprise unless we have the means to deter them, that we have the strength that convinces them not to start that war tomorrow. And that requires a leadership that prioritizes the buildup of military strength. I mean, look, if the United States decides, if Congress decides to pay for the student loans of the last uh, two generations. Uh, This is estimated to potentially cost about $500 billion, uh, maybe more. With that $500 billion, the United States could build enough missiles, submarines, and aircraft possibly to deter a war with China, a war that might cause us to have to draft uh, the very uh, students 
who are having their loans forgiven. What would they rather do? Uh, uh, not pay for their loans or be drafted and possibly go off to war? So if war were to break out, would the U.S. be able to help Taiwan defend itself right now? Most likely, yes. The commander of uh, our naval forces uh, in the Pacific uh, uh, recently uh, gave an interview to the Washington Times in which he expressed high confidence that if China did attack Taiwan, that the United States would be able to respond. The question, though, is for how long? How long before American military stocks, ammunition, missiles begin to run out? And also, how long before Taiwan's military stocks of ammunition, artillery shells, air-to-air -air missiles begins to uh, expire? Uh, this is why we need the assurance of, a, of greatly increased military production of key weapons and, and weapon systems in order to convince the Chinese that we are strong enough, we can wage war long enough so that you, China, you, Xi Jinping, you will not win. And she understands that if he does not win. And Rick, how do you see the European Union stands towards China changing or is it changing? I believe that there is a greater understanding amongst European leaders that if Taiwan is conquered by China, then all those Chinese forces directed at Taiwan could be used for other uh, military campaigns. And if Russia, as I believe it will do, helps China to invade and conquer Taiwan, then Russia is going to expect that China, in turn, will assist future Russian military campaigns, be they the second or third invasion of Ukraine or new invasions of the Baltic states or even Poland. So it is dawning on many European leaders that Taiwan must remain secure and free. For decades, they've been selling weapons and military technology to China. And some of that technology was used in August and September to help conduct the new level of uh, blockade, the so-called uh, new normal that uh, China is trying to impose, really military terrorism uh, that it's trying to impose on Taiwan. And this must now be reversed. Europeans should be selling weapons to Taiwan so that Taiwan can deter a war. And Rick, what would you say to the argument of those who say, oh, we don't want to tip the balance and anger Beijing? What would you say to them? Well, nobody makes that argument in Beijing, Tiffany. Uh, there, there is no one in the Chinese Communist Party leadership that is standing up and saying, oh, that might uh, anger our friends in Washington or, or in, uh, in London. Uh, the only people who advance in the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party or the People's Liberation Army are those that score victories, that advance the strength of the Chinese Communist Party and can promise victory in future conflicts. So Rick, it sounds like in a way it's up to our leaders to take on that role, but what can be done from the grassroots level? Well, from the grassroots level, uh, uh, if you live in a democracy, you vote for your leaders, 
Uh, try to find the ones that uh, share your concerns. Being informed and then voting on the information that you gather. That is, that is our responsibility as, uh, as uh, participants in uh, the American democracy and most other democracies. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.